In this episode, Ellie and Katie are joined by Ben Jackson. Ben is the founder and managing director of Cogency, an HR consultancy focusing on systems and processes with a passion to improve the candidate experience. Um, so to start us off, could you tell us a little bit about your background um, and your career? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, I, um, I think it's probably fair to say I've had a non-linear career. Um, <clears throat> I started out a long time ago working for ITV, actually. That was my first job um, uh, in airtime sales and then uh, fell into recruitment, as most people do. Um, didn't really enjoy that and ended up going into in-house recruitment, which I thought was uh, a little bit more um, interesting, and then uh, went into the recruitment outsourcing side of things, um, running big accounts there, then did some more in-house stuff, then became commercial director for a recruitment outsourcing business, and uh, then... Uh, set up on my own, um, did three years working for myself, uh, mainly doing kind of contract work, <coughs> um, including um, I was head of student recruitment for Deloitte and did a big kind of transformation project for them um, around their student recruitment stuff. Um, and then what did I do after that? And then I ended up becoming, slightly oddly, um, uh, just to keep the non-linear theme going, I ended up becoming the MD of a um, recruitment marketing and uh, employee comms business. Um, and then decided that I wanted to do something totally different, and now I'm running um, Cogency, which is my own business. And just to expand on that, um, what is Cogency? Um, so Cogency is basically a um, technology and process consultancy business, I guess that's probably the best way to describe it. So we help um, large employers to um, sort out um, uh, issues that they've got with their um recruitment technology, issues that have got with their recruitment processes, and there's various other things that we do um, as well, but that is basically the core of what, what we do, so it's a kind of pure consultancy business. Nice. Okay, so obviously for our listeners who are probably applying to vacation schemes or new privileges, depending on whether they're going down the solicitor or barrister route, um, it's no secret that you have to apply to hundreds of places, mm. and it's often not the best experience um, and I was just wondering if you can touch on what candidate experience is. Yeah sure so uh, I mean we so where it kind of figures in in the work that we do I, I've kind of obviously having been in this world for a long time I'm really passionate about um, candidate experience and about making the experience as good as it can possibly be for people and I think there's there's kind of a number of different reasons for that firstly at the moment, we kind of tend to expect an awful lot of people when they're applying for vacancies. So they've got to jump through millions of hoops. They've got to fill out um, massive application forms. Quite often do um, uh, psychometric testing and things like that. Um, and then eventually, once they've been to an assessment event or whatever it is, they, they hopefully get offered a, a job. But um, that experience is representative of the brand and the organisation that you're going to uh, work for. Um, so for me, from a kind of an employer's perspective, it's really important to get it right because you want to give people a sense that, you know, you've probably got this lovely website and it says we're really innovative and we're really forward thinking and we're not like all the other law firms and so on. Um, but actually, you've got to prove that. And the way you prove that is through um, the experience that people have as they're, they're going through that process. It's kind of indicative of your culture, your approach to, um, uh, you know, how you treat people fundamentally. Um, so I'm kind of passionate about it from that perspective, but also from the point of view of the um, applicants, as I said before, you go through an, 
an awful lot of hoops in order to get to um, hopefully a, a positive outcome, or who knows, maybe it's a negative outcome, as let's face it, most people do get rejected rather than getting the roles. And I feel really strongly that you have to give something back in exchange for the investment of time that people make during that process. So making it a valuable um, experience, giving people the opportunity to learn, um, giving them feedback, you know, it sounds really basic, but so many employers don't even bother giving feedback. Um, and how are you expecting young people to learn and to become better and become more skilled at this kind of thing if you don't give them feedback? So, yeah, that, that for me is a kind of the experience and it encompasses the technology, it's the process, it's the interaction with all of your recruit, recruiters, it's the interaction with the hiring managers as well who quite often aren't great. Um, so it's all of that kind of little mini ecosystem about applying, I guess. Yeah, I think it's really clear that it's such an important part of, I mean, pretty much anyone that's going for kind of any sort of job, particularly in the London area. Um, and you've kind of talked about the main aim and how and ways it's important. Could you describe sort of what the current state of candidate experience is? Um, it's it's pretty dreadful, really. Um, so there are, there's been a huge amount of kind of new technologies and things like that that have come out over the last kind of 10 years or so, which theoretically... Um, uh, could solve the candidate experience kind of problem. Um, but what I've seen in, you know, um, we, you know, I've been talking about candidate experience for 15, 20 years. Um, what I've seen is that actually um, that hasn't really changed things and there's kind of a number of reasons for that. So firstly, since, and I know this is going back a long time, but since kind of 2008 and the financial crisis um, then, um, you've seen application volumes just grow exponentially. Um, so recruitment teams are having to deal with huge application volumes. Um, so that's kind of a, you know, obviously that puts pressure on the um, recruitment teams. The second point is the recruitment um, functions of most organisations haven't really been invested in ever since that kind of period 12, 14 years ago. Um, so they're massively stretched. They might have some technology in there. They might have installed, I don't know, a chatbot or something exciting like that. Um, but fundamentally... Um, they haven't had the investment to be able to deal with the kind of volumes that they're they're working with. And I think it's kind of become almost accepted now that you don't, if you don't get back to people or maybe you send them a message when they apply saying we won't respond to anyone if if you're not successful, things like that. It's just a kind of a way of just absolving yourself of your responsibility to these people. Um, so fundamentally, I think, you know, and obviously there are exceptions, there's some great organisations out there doing really, really good things, but fundamentally if you look across the whole kind of um, spectrum it's really poor and um, you know pretty much every candidate that I've known have applied for a job graduate job trainee contract or even a kind of a uh, you know a more um, experienced hire type um, role in the recent past they've had shocking experiences and it's you know for me that's just not good enough. I think as well like we need to consider that this isn't just like at the initial stages like you've done you filled in a form yeah. and not spent that much time on it or whatever this is like three four five stages down the line where you've maybe done like a, an essay for them or interviewed or an assessment yeah. center and then to still get nothing I think that's where it's really bad yeah um, it, and again it comes back to that kind of thing that we're expecting you know we as employers are expecting people to go through all of these hoops and invest a huge amount of their time. And they're not just doing it for one organisation because, let's be honest, who'd risk that? You're doing it for multiple organisations. You're spending all that time 
And then all of a sudden, you know, are you giving feedback? Sometimes. Mm. But quite often you're not even giving feedback. And that just seems absurd to me. And obviously we've done a piece of research recently, Katie, that you've kind of been um, very heavily um, involved in, looking at the experiences of some um, graduates applying over the last kind of um, 12 months or so. And some of the stories that come out of that have been absolutely... Well, I would say they're shocking, but actually they don't shock me. It's just kind of, it's it's just the way it is. It's just, it, it, it's not great. And, you know, if you look at these kind of enthusiastic young people who are coming out of university, they've just, they've worked really hard to get a really good degree. They've done really well. Um, and they've been told they've done really well, and quite rightly. And then suddenly they're being told by employers, well, no, you're not good enough. Or, um, you know, we can't be bothered to talk to you, you know, because, you know, tough. That's just the way it is. It's just... Yeah, it, it just it just feels wrong from my perspective. Yeah, I think it's also such a worry now because such a big thing when people look at universities is the universities have up their like employability rate within a year because yeah. I think even starting uni now, people know that it's really difficult and people are sitting for months and even years at time trying to get a job by applying to all these different things. Just a slight detour, but for our listeners, a lot of them, um, I mean, some of them are still kind of in sixth form, haven't even started university yet. Is there kind of an average like timeline or like different stages to a candidate experience or are they all fairly different? It's quite different really. Um, you know, if you're, if you're working to the kind of the traditional, I hesitate to say milk round approach, but the mm-hmm. kind of the traditional corporate kind of grad scheme approach, you know, they'll usually open up for their kind of applications around uh, end of September-ish, something like that, and then you would hope that they'd get everyone through the process by certainly the Easter holidays at the absolute latest, but a lot of them trying to kind of complete things by kind of um, uh, end of December, January, um, if they're smaller programmes. Um, the steps involved, that varies wildly depending on um, uh, the employer. So, as I say, typically for grad programmes, it's application form first, um, there'll be usually some kind of academic criteria that you've got to um, pass on to get onto those schemes. Some uh, employers have kind of moved away from that, but it's generally part of the kind of the score, the overall scoring, even if it's not a kind of a screen out thing. And then you'll have tests. You might have a video interview, um, then maybe a face-to-face interview and a kind of an assessment centre. And, you know, again, some of the assessment centres have now moved online as well, which I think is quite nice development and probably makes it a little bit easier for people without all the kind of the travel and the pain of that kind of thing but that's what you're probably looking at and that does take months to get through that process given the kind of volumes of applications that are coming through and i mean specifically for solicitors aspiring solicitors whether it's a vacation scheme or a direct training contract it pretty much follows that like you'll have initial application which could be 600 to a thousand words you'll then have the watson glazer test um, which I actually want to talk about in a minute. <laughs> um, you'll then have video interviews, but just pre-recorded questions, then a face-to-face video interview, and then a partner interview. And also, as part of that partner interview, it's normally an assessment centre, so they'll give you um, like a task scenario, and you'll have to put yourself in the shoes of a solicitor and try and figure out the problem, with like, whether it be a merger, an acquisition, case study, or something. Um so that's what I'm saying, like these, the, the lack of feedback is coming after mm-hmm. that final stage. Um, I mean, when I was applying, I had a situation where I got rejected at that final stage by a firm uh, and asked for feedback. And they said that they'd send me that and have a phone call with me and then 
that just never got followed up. And so it wasn't, it wasn't even just like the ghosting. It was like, like yeah, we'll give it to you and then the ghosting. Mm. So it's definitely very cutthroat. Um, and like, I know for me, I applied to like 12 places mm. and that was in my second year of trying. So yeah. it's, the amount of time spent on it is insane. Like someone once said to me, it's like, a, it's like having a full-time job, yeah. applying for jobs, like genuinely. Mm. Yeah, it's really it's really difficult. And for for me, there's a kind of a, and I don't know the answer to this incidentally because it, it, this is something I think about a lot. It feels like the whole system is broken, really, because you know if you've got good people applying for jobs, being rejected, not getting feedback, etc., not being told why they're not getting those um, jobs, and yet they're then going on and finding a job with a you know a Clifford Chance or whoever it is. Um, Surely they're good enough to work for lots of different organisations, and I know there's kind of cultural nuances and things like that, but fundamentally, to be in a situation where you're getting 11, 12, 15, however many it is, rejections, but you're still managing to get onto a really, really good scheme, doesn't that suggest that there's something slightly amiss with the whole way we've kind of structured it? And I think if you, you know, bearing, bearing in mind, you know, this goes back, you know, the milk round goes back to, what, the 40s or something like that, maybe even before that, um, we're still fundamentally using the same kind of process. And I know we put it all online, but it's still an application form and it's still, you know, some psychometric testing and lots of interviews with, you know, um, men in grey suits and things like that. Fundamentally, it feels like we need to do something different um, in the way that we assess people, in the way that we invite people into um, uh, the process. Uh, you know, one of the things I really like out there at the moment is Inside Sherpa, which is this kind of cool technology for kind of hosting um, uh, uh, virtual internships and things like that. But again, the demand for getting onto those, even those things, is so huge. So it's difficult to kind of work out how do we get to a point where, you know, we're, we're maybe managing the expectations, I think, of people more effectively. So we're reducing that, um, the top end of that funnel of kind of candidate applications because people are saying, well, actually, do you know what? that isn't really for me. I don't really want a career in the law, or I don't want to work for a farmer, or I don't want to do whatever. Maybe there's something more that we need to do around expectation management to then mean that we've got a more efficient process and the recruiters can spend a little bit more time actually working directly with the candidates and talking them through things like feedback, and you didn't do this well, but, you know, this is what you should improve. I don't know. I don't, as I say, I don't know what the answer is, but it feels like we just, all we're doing is the same process that we always did, but it's now online, or some of it's online, and there's just more people applying. Yeah. Well, that just doesn't feel very sensible. Yeah, and also, I suppose, I think that makes perfect sense, because I think people, when they've heard about how unsuccessful you can be, even Barstow is slightly different, but yeah, I mean, mini pupillage, which is like the first step. I think, yeah, I applied to around 15 or something like that. Um, that people have more of a scattergun approach, because they know that mm. likely they're going to be rejected loads, so then probably... That also contributes to having loads of applications to each place. Um, so it's kind of like in a circle, just making it worse and worse. And if you don't get it the first time, second time you're more likely to apply to even more places. Um, and then probably your application is way less kind of specific and because you just don't have the time to actually research like 20 different places. Um, but then there's the whole, if the line isn't specific to that firm, like mm. it's not specific enough to be applying. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. And talking about... Inside Sherpa, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, so these virtual internships. I completely agree. I think they're brilliant. But what I will say is, like, from an applicant's point of view, 
that just adds another hurdle because if you're applying to a firm um, and even if you're doing X, Y, and Z, various other things, if you haven't done that virtual internship, then you need to have done that to apply there. Mm. So even though it's great and the whole point of it is to give you that work experience and to see if you like it, which is fantastic, it's also like, okay, if you're applying to 12 firms and five of them have got these virtual internships, if you then want to apply there and you don't have that on your application form, it's like, well, clearly you don't care about the firm enough. So it's like pros and cons. And that, I, I've got to be on the right, so you've just, you've, you've touched a nerve there. So I oh, really, no. ha- well, I, that sense that you have to care about the firm is, for me, completely absurd. Because at the end of the day, you're young people trying to get your first step on the ladder trying to get a you know and obviously you do want to work for a really good organization of course you do that's that that goes without saying but this idea that you have to care about you know one particular organization over all the others is a nonsense it's an absolute nonsense and i do think that's one of the things that we have got to change at that corporate recruitment level stop making it about the organization the individual organization and make it about your skills, your potential, all of that kind of thing, rather than, you know, why do you want to work here? It's like, well, because I want a job and you're a good employer and therefore why wouldn't I want to work for you? That, that Yeah, that's the logical response. So, yeah, that, that really winds me up, as you can tell. Yeah. No, that's so true because also they, they do have that as well. In Barca, sometimes you have to have done the mini pupillage to get a pupillage at that chambers. But also if you go to any, like, really anyone that I've wanted to do an open day they go well don't spend your whole law degree saying I want to go to this place because they have really limited mm. spaces so they kind of you there's like merit to be like having dedication to a place but also there's such a low chance of actually getting a space that yeah it, it just seems kind of implausible totally agree Massively. Yeah, totally agree and then just touching on the Watson Glazer because this is something that I find amazing so there was an article by Legal Cheek, which came out this week, talking about Chat GPT, um, which I think Ben, you've written a little bit about on LinkedIn. I have. But basically, this is an AI software um, that anyone can have access to. I've gone and made an account because I wanted to try it out, and it can answer the Watson Glazer for you. And it got full marks in four out of the five sections. Huh. And this is something that's available right now. And application season is in full swing. I have friends that are doing the Watson Glazer. Um, literally as we speak and there is this technology out there that can basically get you full marks on it like surely this needs to be like a wake-up call for the for changing the recruitment process i don't know how more people aren't talking about this i think it's huge i i I totally agree and and actually for me it's kind of you know the tests you can work around the test by either god forbid getting people in a room and having to you know make them do the tests in front of you and in fairness that has been a component part of a lot of assessment centers in the past so you can kind of get around that because then you can see somebody um, doing it, but it does become a little bit exam um, and invigilated. The, the, the bigger concern for me is actually around application forms. So you mentioned before, you have to write like a thousand words in an application form. Just get chat G- GPT to do it. Why wouldn't you? Um, now, so, you know, well, ethically, obviously, maybe that's not the right thing to do. But if you're kind of, again, trying to bang out loads and loads of applications for organisations, well, there's a nice, neat little shortcut there. Mm. So, yeah, I, I don't think the recruitment industry is ready for something like this. And, of course, you know, we, we as an industry can make changes and we can kind of um, do things differently. And I think, I think we'll have to quite quickly. 
but I do feel that things like that are going to drive some pretty significant change. And my worry with all of that is what does that then mean for the candidate experience? Because if we, if we basically stick to this old model that we've just made online <clears throat> and then go, right, well, we need to put up more barriers, we need to put more controls in place, that's going to make it even harder for people to get onto these schemes. And there comes a point where it starts to become almost random about who actually gets on there. Mm. Um, because, okay, you know, they've got the academic qualifications and they've, you know, they've, they've, they've shown, they've done a couple of internships and what, whatever else, fine. But how else are you going to discern who the really good people are for your organisation if this kind of technology is out there? It's going gonna, it's gonna to become um, tricky. Now, again, having said that, through the interview process, you'd hope that you'd start screening people out. But what happens when you have to do even more interviews because more people are getting through the process? So th th that's the kind of the issue for me. All of these things can be managed if you really think about them and you create your processes kind of accordingly. But you can't just put in more and more hurdles, which will screen out a lot more of the good people as well as the not so good people, and then hope that when you get into the interview stage you can kind of discern who's good and who's not good it's really it, it, it's tricky i mean it's fascinating and it's it could be a really really exciting time if we kind of you know work out how to do things better but yeah it's quite an interesting one yeah particularly because it seems there's obviously been a shift to online which then makes it easier to use kind of mm. gpt but then also it also makes it easier for people who are applying to lots of things to actually be able to kind of go in, you know, if you start doing these tests in person again and say that they're in the third year of university, it's just even kind of just time-wise, not even how good of a candidate you are, it kind of makes it more impossible. Mm. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting, very complex. Okay, so I think we'll finish up just by talking a little bit more about cogency because that would just be quite a nice full circle moment. So what does cogency offer? How is it working to improve this candidate experience problem? Yeah, so if you, if you think about kind of um, every process you go through, every online process you go through will have some, you know, some systems involved in that. So at the point at which you kind of click on apply now on a, um, a career site, the chances are that all the next stuff that happens to you is in what's known as an applicant, applicant tracking system. Um, so we work with organisations to optimise their um, applicant tracking systems or help them buy better ones um, that are more um, candidate-friendly, that provide a better user experience both internally for the recruiters and, and for the, um, uh, the users, the candidates who are going through the process. Um, we also do a lot of work with organisations around um, implementing things like chat technology, um, which I think is a really, really good thing um, uh, and can help with kind of getting away from those dusty old lists of kind of FAQs and things like that and can really help to kind of engage candidates if they're a bit kind of nervous about not really sure whether or not to apply. You can use the chatbot to kind of um, engage in that way. Um, we do work around kind of learning management systems. So when people actually join an organisation, how do they um, then come in and start kind of doing their mandatory training and how do they then start to kind of go through a kind of an ongoing um, learning journey um, and all sorts of different things. We've, we've helped... Um, organizations to put all of their um, careers events online for example you know turn them into virtual careers events um, and various other bits and bobs but we also do the process side of things which as I always say to people don't um, uh, don't just implement the technology if you think it's going to solve your process problems because it won't you have to solve your process problems before you then implement the technology that will enable you to do that 
Um, and everything we do, it's got this, you know, we call ourselves a candidate experience experts. It slightly kind of gets away from the core of what we do, really, which is kind of systems and process. But the reason why we talk about that is because we're so passionate about that. It informs everything that we do. So we would never go to an organisation and say, well, chuck this system in because, you know, it'll make your recruiting more efficient if, at the same time, it makes the experience for the candidates worse. For us, it's, again, as, as I say, a bit of a crappy phrase, but it's kind of like this ecosystem, this kind of technology and process ecosystem. And if you can get that right... Um, then your internal users, your recruiters, will have a much more efficient time and they'll be able to spend more time focusing on high-value, high-quality tasks such as giving feedback um, and you know actually directly interacting with the candidates. Um, but it'll also mean that the candidates have a much better experience too. And that's what we do. Amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. And hopefully by kind of... You know, we're talking about it and learning more, hopefully by the time some of our listeners kind of get to that stage things might have changed um, and kind of adapted and it sounds like cogency is obviously having a really big impact. Hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.